In this episode, Mike and Marikis have a raw, candid conversation about race. The format flips the script on previous episodes, and they have an exciting give and take that wanders into one of the most complicated facets of American society in 2016. You'll hear them discuss the terms African-American, white privilege, Ferguson, and more. Welcome back to the Insanity Podcast. Micah. Yes, sir. Racism. That's a topic that has been, I guess, for probably last year and a half, been in a news cycle, I don't know, every week in some type of capacity. So let's just have a a race conversation. I mean, you're a white guy. I'm a black guy. Neither one of us have prepared any notes. It's kind of impromptu, actually. Um, But we think it's important for us to give our views because we think this conversation needs to happen. And quite frankly, um, people need to stop being so offended by other people's perspective. Because at the end of the day, we are all prisoners of our experiences and our experiences leads to our own perspectives. So with that, I say, here's question number one for you, Micah, as a white man. Right. Are you ready? Hold on. Before you, I, I want to be fair. Okay. I'll, I'll answer whatever question you have. I just want to say from the outset that my view on uh, social issues, issues between and among people, are that they take generations to change, and that there is no switch to happen because they are their feelings, they're things that defy easy categories sometimes, and they're not always the same. Sometimes you have moments of feeling a certain way, and that isn't always how you feel. And, uh, you know, it's only been 100 years, not even yet, that women have had the, the constitutional right to vote in this country. You know, well, we, it's, it's only been 50 years that you and I could ride on the same bus in the same seat without me sitting in the back in the front. Right. And how far have we come? So, so before we dive into any of that, I think it's important to appreciate how far we've come Absolutely. With, with the grounding in that these things do take time and we're a part of change. And, and that's why we can and, and should have the conversation. And, so, and, I, and I would add to that before I go to my question, too, is that... This better be a sweet question. No, okay, <laughs> whatever. Um, is that it's important to understand that as we go forward with a race conversation, that in order to really eradicate it, is that we're going to have to go deep down to the roots of this matter. And understand that someone may say something that makes me feel uneasy, but that the fact that they're willing to participate in, under, under, in a conversation where they're seeking understanding, it, don't be offended by it. Because again, they are prisoners. We are all prisoners of our experiences. And that leads to our perception until acted on by outside force. So with that being said, Micah. Yes, sir. What do you think about... When you think of a prototypical black man in America, uh, it it changes. I think it it depends on where I am. Hmm. That's that's a good point. Elaborate. Um. So so I'll I'll, I'll give you the the, the quick it the quick answer. Um. 
you know, when I think of a black man in Atlanta, it's very different than a black man in New York. I agree and, with it, and, and I'm only going to talk about places where where I've been. Okay, um, it has every much to, everything to do with the the side of town you're in. Um, it has everything to do with what you're doing, what that activity is. Like if I'm shopping, by the way, I just noticed we both have defensive body language right now. We do, don't we? <laughs> I thought it was just because I, I think it's because I'm comfortable. Maybe I'm not. I, my my hands were cold. Anyway. Um, <laughs> But it but it changes, um, you know. I think very much the black man in in Colorado was very different than the black man in Mississippi. Okay, okay, that's that's all right. I mean, that's a political answer again. What is your thought when you think of a prototypical black man? What are, what are the first thoughts that come to your head? Don't overthink it. I think a black. I think sports fan. Okay, there this we is go. My first my first reaction. Yeah, play basketball, can run high, jump fast. Probably can I just say that here's a more alarming reaction that I had was you say, if you'd ask me, what do I think of when you think of a black woman? My first thought honestly goes to shitty drivers. I really? Think, yeah, I just, I think I've had so many experiences that I can't pretend I haven't had. <laughs> I don't know there are any better or and I'm sure the numbers will say we're all the same. We're oh, all terrible, God. terrible drivers. I really thought you was going to say. And by the way, I cannot twerking. Wait. I thought you was going to say twerking. That's what I thought you was going to say. No, shitty drivers would have been the last thing in no. the world that I thought you would said. If I said, "What do you think of black women?" <laughs> no, and which I can't is, wait. Which is black a good reason. Yeah, yeah, which is a good reason for us to have this conversation. I mean, not just shitty in general. I just think in like parking lots. I've I've just been like cut off or pissed that they didn't let me in and I'm like you're black woman it's your fault I don't know I'm embarrassed to that but that's where my head goes okay uh-huh. I cannot wait till some black women get a hold of me after they're hearing this and you know my mom listened to this right and she <sighs> and she like prized Look, herself you she prized herself on her ability to drive like what do you think what do you stick. think of she can drive a monster truck Matter of fact, she thinks a man is less of a man if you don't have a sense of direction. So you're going to have to deal with that. That's that's fair. Okay. Um, and right. accurate, I think. I think less of men who... I think less of people who don't have a sense of direction. Okay. I guess I just sort of expect it. For and I, I think, though, to unpack that answer a little bit more, um, I don't always have a positive... Uh, again, that, that first reaction... I don't necessarily think of the image that comes ahead isn't necessarily wealth. Like it's it's like a, you know, you think of someone hustling. Uh, you got to be a hustler. hustler. I would think like, I don't know, someone in a position where they have to work a day job to get by. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, okay, for sure. That's fair. For sure. I don't think of clean cars either. Not not necessarily the outside, like being Wait. muddy or whatever. I mean, like I think there'd be like stuff in the back of the car. What you trying to say? Michael? I don't know. I just just because you didn't look at my trunk, don't mean that applies to every other black man. No, I'm, I'm no sister <laughs> general. What do you think? Of, what do you think of when you that's, think of a black man? Let me. That's yeah. I don't even want to ask you the white man question. Um, I well, I don't have to tell you what I think of when I think about the black man because I am a black man, so I can tell you what the black sure. man is, right? Um, and uh, to me, we have, 
we have been stripped a lot of our knowledge of who we are um, for as um, a history of being great at multiple disciplines. I mean, if you really go and understand astronomy, you understand um, marineology. Is that a, this a word? Marine, no, no um, marine biology. No, not marine biology, but understanding how oceanography. To, uh, oceanography, but it's yeah. another word that goes with it too. With the marine oceanography, that's sure. where we go with. Um, and uh, and uh, and even like the pyramids is all the great things that black men and women have been able to accomplish. It's not knowledge that you readily can get as a black person. So because of that, I think we lack confidence or understanding of, of who we are. Thus, we try to portray ourselves as other images that puts us in position of wealth, um, puts us in position of power, um, and puts us in position of leadership. So I think that confusion... Well, help, that me, lack of understanding help me understand this. Us. If you say, I think what I heard, I heard is that you know, they don't, they black black folks don't have access to the knowledge of what black other black folks have accomplished. How how do you how can you say that when we we all have an internet? Well, I think we we're starting to get that now. Okay. Okay, I, I, um, I'm just saying for the the vast majority of black men to understand who they are as people was limited to the knowledge of those people that's in front of them. Take, take this, take this for example. I'm 27, 28 years old. Um, Do you not know? <laughs> You're 27 or 28. Well, I'm about to turn 28. I'm kind of in that less, almost less than a month from being 28. So I'm uh, trying to prepare myself. Easing into it. All to right, being 28 I'm like do, dude I'm, do you do the black or black birthday do you do the birthday week thing like oh like yeah white, for sure. white girls do yeah I do see look at that commonality what? Yeah, well I mean okay. I'm just kidding I, so you made me completely yeah I don't want to go too far forget sorry. my thought I'm sorry um, I apologize what were we talking about um black people <laughs> But let me, let me, let me. I forgot. I literally forgot. While, my you, while you try and collect your thoughts, let me share something with you because I'm curious what your reaction to this would be. One of the things that I feel oftentimes is a white man reading uh, the news and seeing what's going on and having conversations is that white white folks are are treated or at least I mean in all of this we're we're over categorizing, I guess, like, you know, we're talking about huge numbers of people. We cannot all be the same. But what I never hear is the idea that there are some white people who immigrated to this country well into the 20th century. I mean, heck, some of them immigrated yesterday. But there's a number of white people in this country who immigrated in the early 1900s, you know, at least 50 years after the Civil War and never had any part in any of some of the terrible things that have happened, like slavery, you know, so, um, you know, there, I just never hear anybody acknowledging that white folks, some white people got here and had nothing to do with what was in the past. They come from places like Estonia and Ireland and, and they had nothing to do with any of the, the ills that, um, you know, were forced upon. Well, that's people. a good point. And I think, for my conversation with individuals like yourself, Micah, 
Um, and that stemmed from CEO of X co- company to just random white friend that I had growing up. Um, is that I think that white people, when black people complain or what you perceive to be a complaint, um, it's not pointing the finger at every white person who ever live on the soul of America. It's not. And it's more telling you the reality in which we live in. And we're trying to get you to understand from our perspective. Um, so when you spoke about Black Lives Matter and why is there such a, I guess, a back and forth with all life matters, Black Life Matters. Um, well, we feel that from a black standpoint that this is the first time in history we really had a good chance to not and I should say first time in history, but we have an opportunity to voice. Yes, we have got to this point, but in order for us to go even further and really get simulated into America and seen as equal as our white counterpart, these are the things that need to be be made aware of the the lack of. Um, I guess you could say equal treatment that we get when it comes to policing um, in America. Thus, you have Black Lives Matter movement, and it's and it's a reality for a lot of folks. I mean, including myself, I've I have been discriminated against. I think um, when been pulled over on a couple of occasions where I felt uneasy. In fact, when I do get pulled over by a cop, my I have a seeking stomach, seeking feeling in my stomach. Like that's it happens every time I've been pulled over. Like shit, this may not end up good for me, um, and I don't know why that should be in America these days. So, but it's a reality. So I have I have a lot of thoughts that come to mind after I hear that. The, the first though, let me just say, anytime I've been pulled over, I have a sinking feeling in my stomach. Right, like okay. it's just you see those blue lights and it's like oh shit, you know, right, you're, whatever. Um, but do you feel like you potentially could be hurt, harmed, or anything like that? No, but that's, I think that, I'm, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way, that no, I don't have that fear. Um, but I think that may be unique to me. I, I never really f- fear for my personal sa- safety. Right. Like, I've just, I'm a bigger uh, guy. I'm you know, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's fair. So I, I you know, have some experience in martial arts. I, I don't fear for my safety. Um but I do understand, you know, mm-hmm. that why why people feel that way because I think that a number of women feel that way, right? You know, white, Asian, Hispanic, black, you know, anytime people have someone has the ability to um, force the, for, you know, compel you to do something by physical force, there's a fear that's different than what people who don't have that fear feel. So I don't think it's unique to to black people in that regard, though, given the number of experiences that have been widely publicized um, over time, I understand why black man would have that fear because you don't know. And, well, and, and that's was, really where all fear comes from is, is unknown. Well, I mean, I think part of our frustration from a black perspective is that everyone now is being aware of the treatment that a lot of black folks a lot of black folks has experience with dealing with police um, and they people saying, well, this is kind of an anomaly of a year. These incidents happen, but this didn't start, 
yesterday or last year or the year before that. Right. You just now starting to see the attention happen. And a lot of these events that did happen where there were some justice, the it's a fair question to ask if that video wasn't present, do these cop get off um like they have historically? Because this is not a new phenomenon. Well the problem the problem that I think people who are who are advocating for more awareness and better treatment, which I think we're doing here by just having these kinds of conversations. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think they have, have done wrong, we've done wrong is holding up the wrong examples to show and try to, uh, to show to white folks, show to um, the world that, you know, blacks are being wronged. And, and Ferguson is clearly explain, the explain this, uh, explain. So, Ferguson, the and I forget the names of the the individuals involved, but that was not the case to take to the world and say we're being oppressed, that that police are systematically mistreating us, that injustices are being uh, committed upon us. And Wait a minute, you hold need on, to be aware. Hold on, hold you on. can't tell me that. Hold on, that, let me stop you. Yeah. What you mean? It, that wasn't the case for black people to say. These are the things that's happening to us. The media, right, right. Who, who brings attention to anything because sure. they control the airwaves, selected this case. And those 20,000, 30,000 people who drove in from all over the Midwest to participate in the looting and the riot were media fabrications? No. no. I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying... Who picks and choose what gets attention and doesn't does not get attention is largely the media. So for you to say this was this was the case that they decided to be their marching case, well, you are not. That's you discounting the Trayvon Martin case, which predates Ferguson. Um, you also got to look at the Eric Garner case, which predates Ferguson. Is that the New York one? Yes. So that, that was the point I was going to make is that's the case that should have been the rallying cry for, you know, the black lives matter movement, because what happens is, is, is unequivocally in, in the Eric Garner case, you can see on the video him being choked to death. Mm-hmm. And there's no defense to that. There's no, there's no defense that someone who's already predisposed to not wanting to agree with you, with not wanting to admit the plight of blacks, there's no reason for them to object to your message at that See, point. But, but when you but when you take a case like Ferguson or you take Trayvon Martin, where there are other factors that if you're not already predisposed to agree, that you can find a way to argue and say, oh, in some way he deserved it. And that's what they do. That's what they do is they say he deserved it. He brought it. But why? What, but why should that be our responsibility for as black people to choose to, the right case to argue? Uh, no, no, no. Let me finish. Why is that our 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 responsibility as black folks to say you got to feel more comfortable with the facts of this for you understand my beef in this? Because what I've learned, or at least what I've I've experienced, what I've read that. You almost have to approach white people to make them feel comfortable enough to discuss racial conversation. And if it doesn't fit into a narrative to where they're comfortable to address it and have that conversation, they start discounting or they feel like I have to back up my race. Because I look at the Mike Brown situation and I look at that as 
a line was drawn in the sand that this was a white policeman and a, a 18 year old black kid who stole some cigars prior to that. And if I am a black person, I automatically have to support black Mike Brown. Whereas when the situation was going, I don't understand why you allow a kid to lay in the street for multiple hours bleeding out. Now that doesn't make sense to me. Now him stealing from a store should never be acceptable. And that should be a a personal responsibility of those parents and leaders in that community to make sure things like that is not happening. Um, You know who else's responsibility is to make sure things like that don't happen? Law enforcement. Right. And I was going to say law enforcement as well, but even more so, um, if you look at that case where you have over, what was it, 90%, I don't remember the numbers, but I know it was a large number of that force being white men, um, I look at that community again and say, well, we're all the leaders in your community to offset this. Why are you not trying to become um, councilmen, uh, mayors, uh, elect officials, sure, sure. or the clergy? So there is a bigger thing in that, but because there is a but in the conversation that should not give the person um, a white person the ability to discount the reality of the situation that black people have to endure. And that's the frustration that I see. Like if I'm telling you, this is my reality. Don't try to tell me my reality is not reality because you don't heard some segment on whatever news channel that may be contradictory to what I'm telling you. Um, so I'm not telling, I'm not trying to say how it should be or how I'd like it to be. I'm just saying as a practical matter, when people hear that story and they hear the story of a guy who, you know, you call him an 18 year old kid. I think in every other context, we would call him an 18 year old man. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> but whatever. All right. You know, you commit a crime, strong arm robbery, you go out. Ultimately there's a tussle with the officer you know, reaches in the vehicle and the guy gets shot. I think that when those are the, those are the underlying facts. Um, it's easy to not have to talk about holistic well, and systemic issues. You say, this is an isolated case where this happened. Well, and you, I, it's easy to not have the broader conversation. I hear what you're saying about that, but you use the word facts, which I think that's why this was such a big case because the facts was different. Um, you had a police saying one thing. You had the guy that was with Nineteen different Mike. neighbors saying nineteen different uh, at, things. Exactly. So, I mean, at what point could you say facts in this situation? Um, sure. So, I think that's why and this. That's fair. That, I, that's why it kind of got where big, it got is because we started with this idea of you know hands up, don't shoot. Exactly. Well, heck, man, that's a that's a that's a strong message. Turns right. out it didn't it didn't play south out that way. Um, I don't know what you do with that other than to say. You know, somebody, I feel like somebody who wasn't white should have stood up with a louder voice and said, let's move the attention. Well, it was somewhere else. It was a video of a construction worker that was kind of offsite that said, hey, he just shot that guy. and He had his hands up. So, I mean, it was enough um, evidence that make people on both sides of the aisle feel like they was correct. Fair, fair enough. But what? hasn't happened since is where where are the black leaders who said you know what that wasn't that wasn't the right case for this this was where this because another happen. case popped up <laughs> yeah. well sadly that, that's true yeah, i mean i just think that when you talk about where we have to work on 
understanding and and particularly understanding another person's perspective of and that person you know where where they may be of a different I'm just offering one person's thoughts on how you how you begin to bridge that divide more successfully and I I think the answer is in acknowledging that some of these cases aren't and every case is not going to be the one that um, is appropriate for national rallying well I think this this kind of it's, it's funny because I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm thinking like like I think you, there's you, bigger you, issues you you, you put in a Given the benefit of the doubt. So let's just focus on that for a second. Black people feel that we don't get the benefit of the doubt. Right. And now you asking us to give y'all the benefit of the doubt. Um, when I say give you the benefit of the doubt, when I say uh, take our situation, take the Mike Brown situation, say, okay, this wasn't the best case for y'all to come start barking at us. So y'all should have did something else. And maybe we could have understand better. And to me, that's like, no, this case is real. And you're hitting it one way. I'm hearing it the other way. But that does not discount the reality that this could have been any black person who did not steal no cigarettes. And just because this cop wanted to ride up beside him and tell him to go on the sidewalk. Because he didn't have any knowledge that this was the kid that had just stole the cigarettes or the cigars. So... Again, that benefit of the doubt when it's inserted, black people not afford it. But I think on the white side, at least we feel that it's expected. Y'all expect to have the benefit of the I'm doubt. I'm not saying anybody gets a benefit of any kind of doubt. I'm saying that the the reason there's a breakdown in, in connection, the breakdown in understanding is because um, the stories, and these are stories that we uh, connect upon, you right. know, like, I, I'm not going to share your experience driving home when you leave here. You know, you're going to leave my house and there's going to be some small town police officers who may or may not see you. I'm not going to experience that. The only way that that we can have as much as you can have a, a shared experience that neither of us actually experience is through news stories, hearing about what happens to other people. Right. So I guess what I'm I'm just identifying a problem or at least one potential source of it, because you know, I think we could name mutual friends of ours who immediately see that case, the Mike Brown case, well, and they go, "He deserved it." In essence, well, I, and, and and I don't know that we have to decide well, whether that's right or not. I'm just you. You asked earlier, you know, why why is this happening, and and that's why. Okay, I I, I agree with you, I agree with you there, and I mean, if you take that case. My issue, it seems like every time a black and white incident happened, take, for instance, the the cop at Spring Valley who threw the little girl across the room. And some of the comments I got with that was was amazing to me that the fact that a 14 year old little girl was getting more responsibility placed upon her than a trained professional was getting. And to me, that made very little sense because at the end of the day, a 14-year-old girl is going to do 14 little old girl things. Right. And people say, well, that's crazy. Well, think about when you was 14 years old and how much of a hard head you were. Um, and to, to expect that child to act in a better manner than a trained professional just blew my mind. Sure, It blew my mind. And quite frankly, when I looked at it, only thing I could see is a mentality of how do you treat the black body? Um, from a historical standpoint, from inception of this country, this is how you deal with 
a disrespectful black body. So help me. Okay. There's a good jumping off point to another kind of conversation. One of the things that I, I personally don't fully understand. And I think other white people do as well, or don't understand as well is, you know, you use language like the black body and historically, I, I don't know that I really understand, for example, the use of the term African-American. That, to me, is um, it, it puts more distance between us that doesn't need to be there. And, and to be clear, I understand that, that all of us in, want to, 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 to talk and, and be together with those who are like us. I think that's an intrinsic human quality that people's first reaction is to be want to be around people who look like them, who sound like them, who who act like them. Um, so I get it that that particularly given the history of of blacks in America, that that it was a a, a term that developed to to say, hey, um, we we have a shared experience. That that shared experience is Africa, but in a world where I don't know. I know one one person from Africa, and she's white. I mean, in the sense that she was born there. Right. So, so I, I think what I'm saying is, it's something that I don't really understand that the this these concepts, you know, that that are clearly important and clearly something that you and others are are emotionally connected to. I just don't know. I don't I don't know how to make sense of that because I don't see that in in white communities and in Asian communities. <laughs> I mean, we should do in Asians, but well, they don't see it in Hispanic communities. Well, you got to think that our inception in, into this country was being stripped away from the country that we were in. Now, if not, you, if you immigrated it, prior to 1865, but if you didn't, if you immigrated here, if you were born in Jamaica, if you were born in you know, anywhere else in the world and you immigrated here later, you, you weren't, had I understand what you're that. saying. I understand what you're saying. But what, what is the old saying? If you got one black, one drop of blood, black blood in you, you're black. Like that's a perception that was put on us, not by black folk. Um, it was more of a white folk saying that, okay, you got black in you. So therefore you're not one of us. Um, you know, perfect example, the president is just as much white as he is black. And matter of fact, he was raised by the white side of him, but he's always considered the black president. Sure. You know, it's it never considered as the white president, but he's just as white as he is black. So, well, the, let me, let me sort of shape it this way to, to say, um, you know, race and I get it. Like the color, the color black got it. And that, that's one conversation. But I guess it's the connection to Africa and the propensity to say, you know, I'm African. If you go put on a Scantron right now and you had to identify yourself, what do they have on the Scantron? They have African-American. Again, that was a label that was placed upon us. And that's a label that we just took and had to run with. It was why, why, why continue to embrace it? I, I don't necessarily say African American. You can yeah. call me a Black American, and I'll be fine. As a matter of fact, if you was to ask me, I'd probably say I'm a Black American. Right. But if someone was to say African American, I have no issue with that either. I think you have. Um, and I don't have an issue with that. I just think when I'm trying to reconcile, try- and I'm trying to think thoughtfully about race, you know that that's one. I, we were block. taught to fault 
excuse me, fight amongst each other. Uh, the paper, the paper bag test. Are you from? Are you familiar with that no. concept? So the paper bag test was taught during a Willie Lynch theory. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but if you you're not, and if you're a white person, I, I would advise you to go look that up. The Willie Lynch theory. Um, it give you a good idea to some of the condition that you even see today. And essentially, the Willie Lynch theory was to point out the differences in black folks to basically make them fight amongst each other. So the paper bag test, house slave, uh, house slave versus slave. slave. So the paper bag test was essentially, if you were darker than a paper bag, then thus you was placed in the field. If you was lighter than a paper bag, then you had the ability to be a house, house slave. Um, So right now, up until last year, this is this is a, the greatest example that you can probably think of. When the Cleveland Cavaliers played um, Golden State um, Warriors for the NBA championship last year, there was a meme a meme that went around. It was Team Light Skin versus Team Dark Skin. So that is um, a direct effect of the Willie Lynch theory that pitted the dark skin versus the light skin people to make them feud against each other. Sure. So what you have in the black community, as I was saying earlier, is that we lack identity of who we are as folks. And we done took it. We'd have been put in a position to look at the difference in us to keep us separated. We are more separated than any other race in the world. So, so but I don't the, know if I agree with that. Well, let me, let me say that. Let me say this. So for instance, I will be considered good hair because my hair is wavy. Okay. I have wavy hair. So I have good hair Um, versus if my hair was to beat up or like not up like little BB guns, Uh it would be bad hair. Like he's bad hair. So those distinction gives you a certain amount of beauty quality that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it just little things after little things to keep us separated that does when you hear someone say African American or say American or Black American, um, that I see some kind of identification to something that we really don't even understand. But that's the way to make me feel that I'm connected to a race. So I'll just I'll just dispose with the pretense that I'm I'm talking on behalf of any other white people because I I've never really even talked about this with other white people, but. Um, it, you said black people are more disconnected mm-hmm. than than any other race, and and you also said you know black people we don't know who we are as, we a, pe- as a people. But th- the premise of that idea is that you can be a group of people, but based on race. And I don't know, you know, outside of some diaspora or, or some, you know. Uh, Island of the community, you know, I mean like a Chinatown and you're like other than, than small concentrated groups of people. I don't know of other groups that try to identify based solely on skin color. So you, you may have Italian Americans or Irish Americans, but you don't have anybody who's saying let's be white Americans I, that I know of, other than the, you know, the because French, we have French been people. all placed as black Americans. That's the label that we got put on us. But why not try to transcend that rather than, I, I don't, how, 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 if I say regress to just like, I mean, to be 
beyond that, that I'm not just a black man. I'm a man. It's it's difficult when you never had an identity anyway to just say I'm just a man. You uh, the black. The, it's kind of difficult to really explain. Um, so, for instance, at one point I, I'm told that if I have a lot of women, have a lot of clothes, um, have a lot of chains, have a lot of cars that go fast, and somehow I'm a successful black man. Um, on the other hand, if you have a family um, where you raise um, your kids and you got a wife that you stick with, you're very rare and you almost kind of like a unicorn, one that you catch, you hope that you can get. And those two different personas, you find two group of black men in it. If you're on, on the side of your wife, with the wife and kids, you can perceive that soft if you are on the side of having a bunch of girls running streets, then you are glorified. And you hear that in our music. Um, you see that in our entertainment. And it's a very misconception, um, a perception of what a man should be. Sure. But that is perpetuated in our society, thus keeping us disenfranchised from the family unit. Um, oh, I agree with that. Um, and so when you say, how can I trans?" transcend and say i'm just a man well we can't even identify what a black man is at this point you know because of what keep thrown out in front of us and i'm not saying that necessarily is a white problem um well let me ask you what what is a white contribution to the solution to that problem i mean at the end of the day it comes to jobs and opportunity so i had i had i had i had a friend ask me this question they said, well, it wasn't even a friend. It was a, it was a CEO of this company that had been really successful, and we somehow got on this conversation. I, I ride around sometimes eight hours a day with a company, conversations go sure. multiple places. And he said, well, Mo, I just don't understand. I know your situation. For those who don't know, I'm, I, was just, I was number two of four boys in which my mom had before the age of 20, mm-hmm. um, or at the age of 20 at least. Um, so... Statistically speaking, I was at a disadvantage and I've have um, been able to achieve a decent amount of success in the close to 28 years I've been on earth. And so his response to me was, well, Mo, you did it. Why can't everybody else do it? Um, which was a very valid question. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made me go back and think about it a little bit. And I realized, you know, the difference between me and one, I was gifted athletically, but two, I was pretty smart and I learned how to adapt myself to fit in the white world. Like I, right. in the way I speak, the way I carry myself um, to make a Michael looking person um, less uncomfortable when I'm around them because of the way I speak, the way I carry myself. Yes, sir. Let, no, let me sir. just interrupt you one quick okay. second. You see, in the the white world, I, I I think that's another source where, you know, we talk past one another because that ain't all the white world. That's the rich world. Right. You know, that's the, that's the successful, which is predominantly white. Right. But the white experience is also Gaston. Right. Gaston, if anybody, it's a, a very rural community that's plagued by methamphetamine and heroin abuse. It's trailers. It's all the terrible things that, that befalls white communities oh, as well. Right. So 
uh, and, that's and, just where I draw a distinction there. Let's just not talk past one another to say that's all the white world. The white world is also, you know, this middle class we're, we're talk, style but, house that but we're in right from now. From a perception and what is placed in front of us, uh, the image of white people, that's sure. what I'm speaking towards. Right. I understand what you're saying. I okay. Just think those are one of the, these are one of the things where, you know, if we're going to have a conversation about race, we've got to pause and say, let's make sure that you we're honest about side. what we're talking about here. This isn't just the white world. Right. Okay. No, so, completely continue. understand that. And quite frankly, if you really want to get into it, it's a whole nother conversation about classism. And I think racism is really more deeper in the modern age with classism than it is racism. Oh, I'm, I'm but, with you there, hook, line, and sinker. But that, I, that, that's a whole other conversation. We're not talking about classism right now. Well, when you tricked me into saying quasi-racist shit in the beginning of this podcast, I thought we would... That's where my thoughts were, you know. Anyway, <laughs> well, anyway but going back to my point, um, which I think I learned how to basically survive in being successful in the white world pretty early on. Um, and then two, I ran summer track, which allowed me to um, travel all over the nation, compete against my peers and not only compete win. So I got exposed. So the exposure and the intellect and the athletic ability to go to college, all that allowed me to get into position that I am today. Every black por- person is not afforded those opportunities. Um, and when they're not afforded the opportunity, they don't understand the resources as available for them. So, for instance, we have friends right now that are second, third, even in some case, fourth generation um, part of their own family business. Right. Whereas in the black community, you may, um, I, I can't give you a percentage, but it's very few black families that's more than two generations that had business owners in there. So what does that mean? So even if all else equal to where if Micah and Mo walked into a bank and said, we need a loan and we had the same financials, everything, we probably today be more likely to get that same loan if everything's equal because we have advanced to that standpoint. But the difference may be, um, and probably is where, I only have very limited resources, and this is hypothetical, um, to go and lean on and say, how do I run this business um, for people that's close to me that I could trust versus some of our friends who can go talk to their dad, their granddad, and great-granddad and say, okay, these are things you need to do, you need to mix. So it's going to be a period of time of us playing catch-up to even get on par um, from a job opportunity job exposure, understanding financial literacy. Um, And then I think you'll see the social standing of black people eventually catch up to where I think our country is from a racism um, standpoint um, over the next 20 to 30 years. But it's nothing that is going to happen overnight. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, What do you think of what do you think of white people? Um... The first thing that popped to my <laughs> the first thing that pops in my mind is damn they can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> like it's entertaining. And like not even a, in a disrespectful way, but I enjoy watching white folk who can't dance 
try to dance and it and it's we, almost we should go to some kind of event where i can show you just how bad dance can be <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, but it, like i said it's in a good way like i enjoy their freeness um when you see an uncoordinated white person dance is some kind of poetry emotion that's happening so that's kind of initially what i think about right. but then poetry in motion yeah poetry in motion i can motion. show you some poetry man i it's like freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, in addition to that, I think, damn, you're lucky. That's that's what thought that comes to my head. It's like everything that you do, you can have that benefit of the doubt. Whereas I always feel that I got to do it just a little bit better so that you understand and take me seriously in whatever th- anything that I'm doing, right? Yeah. So I just those those are kind of my initial thoughts. Um, you, know, you know, privilege is another word that's been thrown out there a lot, and I guess you can say, you know, damn, you lucky falls under that privilege kind of mind or concept. Um, so those are my general general thoughts when I hear it. So I don't want to. Those are those are your thoughts and they're valid as your thoughts and, and I respect that. Um, but I do want to respond to it and, and just offer the perspective of, of one white guy and, and you know thoughts I've heard from other white guys about the idea of privilege and I recognize it for what it is or and certainly what it's perceived to be. Um, but I do know that white white people real from and and it, it's a bit unfair i'm not i don't want to put myself on a pedestal here to think to, to in any way imply that that i i'm impervious to to any of these kinds of thoughts but but having lived uh abroad both in you know in my military experiences in iraq and afghanistan but also uh, you know i lived in mexico i've lived in costa rica i've traveled extensively I love particularly costa rica. costa rica costa rica um por vida my um por vida uh having been outside of my comfort zone for extended periods of time where I was a racial minority, right. You know, where, you know, I can remember very vividly being in Panama and, you know, I'm in a neighborhood where I'm the white guy and you just feel, it just feels <laughs> different. So I get it. And I'm, yeah. I'm empathetic yeah. to that. Um, and obviously, you know, my experiences were, were short duration. I knew, but I guess what I'm saying is I, I understand what those feelings must be begin to be like right anyway but one of the things that i hear when you when when we talk about white privilege is the reaction from white folks who don't see that benefit and and usually because they live in an all-white community and their competitors and the people that they're doing things with or against are also white so it's so white that everyone is being treated the same can I attempt? Can I attempt to yeah, explain please, please, white please. privilege right now? Um, and actually, a white lady actually explained this, and I never heard this, but <laughs> she said this is the way that she's explained white privilege to her white friends. And she said, when you go to the grocery store and you have a boo boo on your arm or your hand or wherever you had this boo boo at, and you go to buy a band aid. What color is that band aid? Uh, that's like a, I don't know, 
It's nude, essentially. Nude, yeah. Yeah. So when you put that Band-Aid on, um, (laughs) you don't really have to worry about that Band-Aid showing up versus if I would get that Band-Aid, you're going to see that Band-Aid. She said, that's white white privilege. Uh, Well, sure. I'm like, I just thought maybe we should. Do they sell black Band-Aids? I've never seen one. I'm just. I don't, maybe we shouldn't publish this one. <laughs> maybe we should get in the black business. No, I've, I mean, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's what I'm saying. The world like, is geared that way in in ways that we don't consciously think about. Exactly, yeah. and that goes to the point of white privilege. Not necessarily every time you walk at a bank, you don't get better service than I because you're white. It goes down to the very culture and fabric of this of this United States of America. It's more catered to white folk. I mean, obviously, you're a bigger um, majority than anybody else here, sure. so it should be to a certain extent. But at the same time, you know, for forever, if you turn on a TV, all you saw was white people. And if you did see a black person, it was them playing that role, that typical, yes, I'm going to eat this watermelon. You know what I'm saying? That perspective of of having that black person there. Now, obviously, we have grown yeah, a lot have, since we have, then. We have multicolored emojis now. Exactly. We just had a conversation <laughs> about that, right? <laughs> what, and and uh, I was trying to recap it. I, I find, I, I don't know yet how what the what the uh, polite usage of of emoji. Just you use know, your color, man. I, I, knew, I just used the yellow one. That, and not I, the Asian see, yellow, the, the thing, yellow yellow. I, see, I think we I got don't know it. what to do. So here's another conversation in itself that I think we have to stop being so sensitive about saying black man, white man, because right. yeah, th- that's why we're doing this podcast. That, that like, is it's a direct um description of you. So if I'm describing Micah, I'm gonna say he's six one, two whatever, and has black hair, he's a white guy. I'm gonna include that in him. Right. So you shouldn't be offended by calling me calling you a white guy or you guy or you calling me a black guy. Let me let me say this. So which let, emoji all right, go ahead. Emoji thing is stupid. I'm okay. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I use the black I use the darkest one because I'm kind of dark. I'm yeah. dark. I'm really dark. I'm a dark guy. Right. Um, you have to say right like that, dude. Right. 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 <laughs> right dog. Right dog. Right. right. No, I actually was trying to think uh, West African geography. For <laughs> like, you talking like purple, purple people. Purple people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got a good friend. Um, I mean, literally, you're like purple. Nigerian black. I'm what? Yeah. See. All right. Don't get your ass kicked, Micah. No, you're like, I mean, because, you know, as you get to like Cote d'Ivoire <laughs> and you get into like Gabon and these places, like, that's purple black. Yeah, I'm not no, purple no, black. Yeah. No. But compared to like somebody who's from East Africa, like an Eritrean or Somalian, Ethiopian, they've got a much lighter skin. A lighter skin. tone, yeah. Um, that, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Anyway. You're just trying to show off your knowledge of Africa, whatever. All right. All right. So put it like this. So. Being a child growing up, we are told in America we could be anything that we ever want to be, right? That's what we're told, right? So that reality was always a reality for any white or white boy or white girl growing up because at the highest level of any, the highest family in the world was that of being president of the United States, correct? And all of you seen since the inception of this country is that white superiority um so with obama 
coming into office. It's the first time in history that saying you can be anything you want. And America became reality for black little kids and little little kid little boys and little girls. Sure. Um now when I say that, you can say, look, you can be because President Obama and Michelle Obama is the first first family. So yeah. you have a whole generation of seven kid I mean, seven year olds who only known a black president. Right. So now their confidence in their in themselves and their identity in themselves is then backed by okay, I could potentially be this where that was never the case. Can I tell you the problem with that? Go ahead. There's still not an example of a black man who was a good president. <laughs> well, sorry, I was trying to figure out well, how to set that joke up. I'm that to was terrible joke. because, it was, like, it was, it was. Because I, I, quite frankly, I'm partial to Obama because I feel like I understand the struggles that he had um, to deal with. The struggles at Harvard? No. I mean, the struggle as being perceived. Growing up in Hawaii? Come on. The struggles that he has to deal with with being a black man sure, in yeah, white society. Fair. Um because I have had to deal with that on a micro scale, um, excuse me, micro scale. I cannot even begin to imagine his life experience and the way, you know, he's had access to to worlds that I've never seen. Right. You know, billionaires and all these folks. And, you know, some of them I imagine, I don't know any of them, have really entrenched views and, and are seeing the, the logical extremes of the, the things we've been talking about. I mean, to have the uh, Senate minority leader say his his whole motive of the Senate is to get you out of presidency before you make it. Well, I don't think he's the only president that's had to do, do with that. Uh, well, I'm just saying that's the first thing. Sure. It, it just, and I don't, it's bad optics. Yeah. Well, I was I, just making I, a joke here. I, it was I a don't, terrible joke. My, fi- my philosophical says, leanings don't align with the president. I, I applaud him for, for I think being history, a public servant. I, I think, do. I, I think I history is going to be very positive for President Obama at the end of the day. Um, And, you know, we'll, we'll see. Certainly. I, I don't. I'm not trying to, but that's, side that's side that, side yeah, side we side. digress. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I just think that the racism conversation has to be more like what we have today. Um, yeah. to where I could, Mike could tell me how you feel towards a black man, and I can tell you how I feel towards a white man, and not feel a certain way that you're attacking me or trying to degrade me or belittle me in any kind of way, but to seek understanding because. I, no matter what I do, I can't. I'm not going to go to sleep and wake up as a white man. You're not going to go to sleep and wake up as a black man. And I think we just got to be really careful um, not to discount people's perspective when they're trying to tell us that because we don't necessarily understand it completely because we're not in their shoes. I agree with that, and and uh, you know, even in in this conversation. You know, and we've we've talked about race. Uh, I mean, countless times. It, it's not easy to do. Right. It's not easy to hear the conversation. It's not easy for me to hear like the band aid mm-hmm. illustration. Right. You know, like oh, I, I mean, I want to get defensive about it. I want to get not none of the band aid thing, but like when we talked about you know Michael Brown and, right. and Ferguson, I want to say no, no, no. The issue is the conduct of Mike Brown, and you're saying no, no. The issue is all these other things. 
and we talk past one another. And and it's only when we pause and reflect and and say, okay, let me just assume for a second this guy or this gal is not trying to tear me down, but rather build something between us, a connection. And and you know, the reality is we're not going to connect with everybody in the world. Some people are just you know they're too, they're not interested in that. But I do think that the future is brighter than the past. Absolutely. And we can get there. And it's, you know, maybe it's just downloading a podcast. Maybe it's just sitting from a microphone and talking about it. Um, but like I said, when we started this, it, it's a it's a long term trend. And it's, you know, you don't eat an elephant in one bite. You don't run a mile without taking the first step. That's right. And you touched on a point that I really want to really put out there um, back to the Mike Brown situation. And you saying that, you know, it was the bad conduct that put them in this situation, whereas the black person say, yeah, it was some bad conduct, maybe put them in a situation. But you cannot negate the fact that if this was a white man, this probably would have ended differently. And that's the reality for most black people. And that's how they feel. So I think if any point out of all we done said tonight is that don't look for the one thing that may may discount someone's um, perspective of what they're dealing with. Look for those things that connect together. Because what I've seen when it came to the debate of uh, race in America is that whenever you do find example say okay this is a bad example his conduct could put him here now every other situation now has been discounted and to me that's dangerous so avoid looking for reasons to discount but look for those reasons to understand yep all right man um, that was fun. Man. I think about, that made about an hour. Going to keep going or? No, I think yeah. I think that's. I, I would say let's just wrap it up there. And I, I think it's important though. Like I, I would just encourage whoever downloads these. If you have white friend, black friend, Muslim friends, or whomever they be, they may have differences. Um, instead of putting your own um, prejudice on those people, and I don't, when I say prejudice, I don't necessarily mean it in a negative way, but just whatever your thought process is towards that person, instead of having that, have the conversation with them, ask them questions, get better understanding because when you do, it makes you more intelligent. It makes you less fearful. Um, and also makes you more understanding of people can live ways in multiple, um, different aspects and they don't necessarily should make me uncomfortable in my own skin. So that's all I got to say about that. I do, want to, I do want to offer, I mean, because we can't end this thing smoothly. I wanted to offer just a brief apology to people who don't identify as either being white or black. You know, we didn't really talk about, you know, other racial categories that people, you know, I don't think we mentioned Arabs or people who, well, you know, look like, I don't, I don't, I don't think we should we apologize. That's the problem. We don't need to apologize for that because at the end of the day, Micah, you're a white man and I'm a black man.